You're listening to The Melting Podcast, a writing variety show featuring a little of everything from everyone, everywhere. Hey there, lexiconosaurs and word chefs. It's your head chef, A.F. Grappin, and I'm here again with Chris Jackson. You might remember him from our November episode. We discussed his uh, new Ed Greenwood Group book, Helmaw Dragon Dreams. Now, there is something I need to tell you about this recording. Chris and I actually already did this interview, and the audio got corrupted, so this is a second interview. So if things don't seem quite as off the cuff, that's because this is deja vu for us. Hey there, Chris. Hey, how are you doing, guys? Uh, I'm okay again this time. <laughs> how are you doing? Doing great. Awesome, awesome. So we're here with you because you've got another book that has just launched. Today, in fact. Yes. Yes, it is launching as we speak. Oh, well, how fancy. And this is the <laughs> this is the third of your Pathfinder Tales novels, correct? Yeah, this is Pirate's Prophecy. Uh, the first was Pirate's Honor, and the second was Pirate's Promise. And both of those books were amazing. So tell us a little bit about uh, Pirate's Prophecy. Well, Pirate's Prophecy... Um, well, to give you a little background, and and I'm I'm trying not to give as many spoilers as as I can here. Um, Pirates Prophecy is very much a mixture of uh, a Mission Impossible type spy tale and a, a Master and Commander nautical adventure tale. So there is the uh, horrible secret weapon that can annihilate uh, the good guys, um, a city and the good guys nation, and the the good guys have to find it, figure out what it is, and neutralize it. Um, all of this is happening in the midst of between two rival nations in the uh, gaming world of Galarian, that is the Pathfinder gaming world. Excellent. So this is, uh, like you said, it's very nautical. It's a little bit of a genre mash with getting, you know, kind of a Mission Impossible kind of deal going on in there, uh, you know, saving the universe, or world at least. Um, and this is different from the first two books, because they had... They were different kinds of genre mashes, right? Uh, yeah, the, the first book was pretty much um, more of a, how do you want to say it, um, a, a revenge tale almost. It, it was more um, Ocean's Eleven, kind of a scam novel. Mm -hmm. Mixed that with Pirates of the Caribbean. So you had an, uh, the, good, the good guys, the good pirates per se, getting even with the really bad guy who had double-crossed them and tried to get them all killed. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was that was a fun tale because it was all kind of introductory, and I got to introduce all of these characters. Mm -hmm. um, now, the second one, Pirate's Promise, um, really opened things up into a little bit more of the espionage tale by introducing Ravage Fay, who was a side character in the first novel, but really opened up and was a primary character in the second novel. Mm -hmm. um, and once again, without being too spoiler, spoilery here, uh, she is, you don't know exactly what she is completely in the first novel, but she's a lot more than she seems. She turns out to be a spy, right. as well as a sexy courtesan seductress. Well, that's, so. that's everybody's favorite character is the sexy courtesan. Hey, it's totally <laughs> mine. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And she's so much fun to write because because she's she's the epitome of a, a really strong woman character. She's not physically imposing, mm -hmm. but she her courage level is like a bajillion, and and she's just she lives a life in constant danger, and she's got nerves of of adamantine. You know what I mean? <laughs> so um, and she's she's just 
unflappable. I mean, you knock her to the ground and she says, well, that was fun. I'll charge you next time. You know what I mean? And, uh, and so, yeah, she's, she's a badass, but not in a typical, you know, guns a blazing sort of swinging kind of badass, mm-hmm. um, um, view. She's, she's tough. She is tough. Um, actually, I kind of riffed the strong female character from, um, Jacqueline Carey's novels, the, the Crucial Start novels, uh, she runs a, a major female character who is, um, who is a courtesan, who is, who is basically a really high priced, you know, lady of the evening. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but her strength is all inside. She's, she's just indomitable. She mm-hmm. has an indomitable will. That's kind of how I tried to pattern Rebecca Bay off of, but in a different way, you know, put it into, into Pathfinder Tales to give her magic and things. Well, we are. Oh, and a really cool, and a really cool familiar who's a cat who's a who's a snarky you know <laughs> uh, snarky character that you can play off folks. So yes. they're a good pair. Um, and I have uh. to say I I do really love reading uh, reading Riva. Um, but we we actually did talk about back in November when we were talking about Dragon Dreams your penchant for female characters. And so tell me tell us a little bit about your other female lead. Tell us a little bit about Celeste in these novels. Well, Celeste, that was a that was an interesting sell to to create a character who was not only um, non-human, and and there are non-human characters in all kinds of the Pathfinder tales, but she's not even humanoid. Mm. I mean, um, for those of you who don't know Pathfinder, um, I I came across something in one of the Pathfinder bestiaries, or they're kind of like monster manuals. Um, and there's a there's a race of monsters called Nagas, um, and she is specifically a lunar Naga. Now, Nagas are um, human from the head from the neck up, and snake from the neck down. So they don't have arms or legs; it's just all snake. But from the neck up, she's very beautiful, platinum hair, pale skin, um, and to sell her as not only the ship's navigator and a primary, you know, like a POV character. And not only that, but have her in a romantic relationship with the captain of the pirate ship, Doris Ben. That, that was kind of an hell because it's it, paranormal romance, but not quite. Um, so, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah, they have a challenging relationship. And there's, there's all kinds of things I, I play off of that in the, in the first book. Um, She's venomous, of course, because she's, she's a viper. She's a snake. And um, over the years of their relationship, she has bitten Tori's been a few times, and he's become inured to and over over years addicted to her venom, which is in the first novel, in Pirate's Honor, was really an issue because um, there was a the whole control issue. She, she, he couldn't live without her, technically, mm-hmm. and he could he didn't like that control over himself because Torius Vin, you have to understand, is very, very much about his freedom. He's a former slave, first of all, and he cannot stand anyone having utter control over him, and Celeste did, but unintentionally. Mm-hmm. And so there was this whole play on who's controlling whom and how and how and why, and is she actually, and she had to ask herself that question, it, and Am I controlling him mm-hmm. or not? You know, or do I really love him? You know, all these things. But yeah, it was romance and, and snakes and pirates and oh my, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. 
Um, but keeping in, you know, just going on with the characters, uh, not necessarily just in Pirates Prophecy, just over the course of these, these books, you've got some amazing supporting cast. We've already talked about Brava and her familiar. Tell us about a little bit about some of the other crew members. Oh, well, yeah, the, the, um, the crew of the, um, Corsair Stargazer has kind of grown over the years. It started out with the, the main supporting cast were three people. Um, the bosun, Gogol, who is a, a badass, half-orc, you know, can't, if you can't solve it with a battle axe, it can't be solved kind of guy. <laughs> and um, and then there is the um, um, juxtaposing character, Snick, who is a gnome, um, kind of a roguish character, mm-hmm. and the ship's engineer. And she's in love with her her ballistae, they, she calls them her, her babies. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she's so, but she's also very much into gadgetry and tricks and things like that. And she's always up for a quip or a joke. And she always has the, the scary solution to the problem that is so crazy it just might work. <laughs> um, so those two play off against one another very well. And then you have the straight man, who is a character that they, they picked up in the first novel, Pirates mm-hmm. Honor who is Thillian, and he is an elf and the first mate of the vessel, and he is a very pragmatic, analytical, um, problem-solving type of person, and he's the perfect straight man. Mm-hmm. He's like the guy you always want to pull a prank on, right? <laughs> so, um, and, uh, so the three of those are great, and then I've, I've kind of gone into a few other characters, and it gets even more so in Pirates, uh, in Pirates Prophecy, um, there's, uh, the helmsman, who is um, Wendy Kate, um, who lost a hand in a battle not too long ago. She's got a hook hand, so she steers with her hook. <laughs> and um, a few others. Mm-hmm. Um, Lacey Jane is the lookout. And um, one of the newer characters that they picked up along the way is uh, Callie, who is a, um, uh, a gilman, mm-hmm. uh, which is handy on a pirate ship. And, uh, and so there's another little relationship that happens on board but between Callie and uh, Win and not Wendy Kate, sorry, but uh, but Lacey Jane. So um, yeah, I'm all about it's a happy ship, right? Yeah, everybody's having a little bit of a fun time, so. <laughs> but it's a lot of fun. And yeah. uh, playing the pirate thing against the spy thing is is really a lot of fun. Well, it gets me wondering, when you're looking for the inspiration for the next one of these books, are you just, like, going to your action movie collection and saying, okay, I'm going to watch, you know, I'm going to watch Mission Impossible and see how I can throw pirates into this? Where where are you getting the ideas for these? Um, You know, it, they come from different quarters. Uh, some come from movies and things like that I've seen, but some of just come from, like, thinking about the characters and how can I challenge these characters? Um, I cannot give anything away on the uh, the next pirate book that is in the works. It's been submitted and and we haven't gone through edits yet. But um, and I can't give you the title yet. But no. but it's in the works. <laughs> but it is in the works and it's probably going to be released next year, early next year. Excellent. But uh, I just started thinking about the characters and how I could challenge them. And um, with Pirates Prophecy, I really needed to step things up. You know, it, it's always in, what are you going to do next? What are you going to? How are you going to step? things up Mm -hmm. and um i wanted to create something that was truly international but not break any of the the toys of the galarian world you know i i couldn't really blow up a city or or Mm -hmm. you know annihilate an island or something like that but i could get really really close you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so yeah i i i got the idea of pirate's prophecy um we were actually sailing in the caribbean 
and there's we were sailing off St. Lucia, an island, Caribbean, and there's a rock down there that looks very much like a big monster. Mm-hmm. And uh, I pointed to it jokingly and said to my wife, Kaiju! And uh, so we joked about it. Hey, it looks like a kaiju. It's the size of, you know, a building, something like that. And then we thought, okay, that has to be an element in the next pirate novel. It is a really, really big monster. And if you've seen the cover to Pirate's Prophecy, you know there's a really, really big monster involved. So, so uh, um, yeah, I love that cover, by the way. Um, the cover artist is uh, um, Remco Troost. Remco Troost. And he is truly, truly gifted. And it is a beautiful, beautiful cover. So, okay, you mentioned that you aren't able to do any of, like, the really huge stuff, but you still have to keep raising the stakes. So do you find writing in a universe like the Pathfinder universe to be more constricting, or do you, or is it liberating or, you know, somewhere in the middle? I wouldn't call it constricting. I would call it challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, it uh, definitely – well, I write in my own universe, too, and, you know, it's that that's no holds barred. I can do anything I want. I can – I can yeah, annihilate whole continents of it. Mm-hmm. There's still the whole thing of if you create the rules to the universe, you have to adhere to those rules in, in writing new stories. Right. And and um, nothing irritates me more than to read a piece of fantasy or science fiction where they break their own rules in the story and, and kind of, you know, oh, okay, well, this worked for the story, so we're gonna, just going to do this. No, 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 no. no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, but, but for, for uh, the Pathfinder tales, I not only have to – adhere to their rules, I have to not break into the big toys. Mm-hmm. But what that what that allows me to do is tell more character-oriented stories. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I, I said, what's going to challenge this character? What can I throw at them? What rocks can I throw at my, at my heroes here that's really going to mess with them and screw them up? So that's where I'm trying to go. Mm-hmm. You just put your focus somewhere else. Right, exactly that. That makes sense. All right, so you're finding, uh, like, just say for example, with the uh, the Ed Greenwood group where you have the Hellmaw setting, is how different is that from writing in a, a set universe like Pathfinder? Because I would think that that like things like Hellmaw are a little bit freer. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Ed's a very forgiving sort, and and when you come up with a good idea, he's always, oh, that's going to just be wonderful, <laughs> and uh, you know, that's what he sounds like. Anyway, um, he he very rarely. Says no. Uh, in fact, recently I was working on my second novel for the Ed Greenwood Group. The it, it is a pirate novel, by the way. It's called um, The Queen's Scourge, and um, I'm going to pop the pirate. You know, pirates are traveling folks, so he's going to pop by a few other cities. And one of the cities he's going to go through is is being developed by one of the other writers, mm-hmm. um, whom I actually know, um, Richard Lee Byers. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I got online. With Rich and I said, "Look, my you know my characters are going to go through your city, so tell me everything you know, and I'll and I'll adhere to your rules." So it, it's really really kind of fun because you have all these creatives coming in from different angles, creating different things, mm-hmm. and you get to like, okay, that's cool. I can work with that. You can ask them questions. Can I do this? Things like that. So that's very much a group effort. Very different than working for a group like Paizo or Privateer or or you know Wizards of the Coast or one of the big publishers because. Basically, they set the rules and you adhere to them. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Ed Greenwood group is is pretty much a cooperative, and everybody's right. everybody's just having fun together and getting along. And, and but you know, Ed does have the final say. Put his foot down. Yeah. 
So uh, what you mentioned there's you know book four of the uh, the pirates books. There's another Hellmaw book coming out in the semi near future. Um, what else is on your on your chopping block right now? Uh, right now I'm writing a, a story for privateer a story for privateer press. It's a, a novel, uh, kind of a takeoff of the previous characters. I wrote a novella in that universe, the Iron Kingdom's gaming universe for privateer press, and. Um, so it's a pirate novel too, but hey, with cannons, right? Yeah. So that's very cool. Their world, their Iron Kingdom's world is, is kind of a, a high fantasy steampunk on steroids. So it's got magic, it's got guns, it's got, um, magical guns, it's, it's got big, you know, walking mechanoid war machines called warjacks that are controlled by these guys called warcasters. It's just a really cool world and I get to write, you know, pirate tales in that. So. I'm working on the first novel in that uh, universe. Um, I'm also working on my own stuff, as I said, I write in my own universe. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have a series called the Weapon of Flesh series. And that is just going crazy. That's kind of paying all my bills uh, right now, most of my bills. Uh, um, and uh, it involves a magical assassin who is imbued with magical strength and speed and all these other abilities through magical tattoos, runes that are etched into his flesh. Cool. And... Um, the first trilogy of that series really took off and went crazy on Kindle, and I'm working on the second trilogy. Um, the first one, uh, Weapon of Fear, released last year, and the second, Weapon of Pain, is releasing this summer. So um, between the Ed Greenwood group, Paizo, my own stuff, and Privateer, I'm release- I'm writing four novels this year. So, yeah, I'm a little busy. <laughs> a-, a little. And yet you still have time to, you know, go snorkeling and sailing and oh, well, oh, yeah. your day job. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the day job. The other day I posted that I had a day where I, I woke up early. I generally get up very early. And uh, I wrote for about three hours, and then we were going to move. So uh, we hauled anchor and uh, um, sailed for about six hours, which was kind of a long sail for the day. But it was kind of a – we were kind of beating against it. It was not, wasn't a very pleasant day, but we had fun. And then we put the hook down, and – and uh, then we went snorkeling promptly for a couple of hours to kind of decompress from the sail and stuff like that. So, yeah, my day consisted of three hours of writing, six hours of sailing, and two hours of snorkeling. And I really needed a break. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, I got a lot of jealousy comments on that one. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Okay, so uh, what, um, like, conventions or what other public appearances are you making this year? Ah, uh, yes. This year, I've, I've cut way back from my previous two years. I've been, I've been in the States for the last uh, 18 months or so, so I did a lot of conventions. Mm-hmm. But this coming summer, I'm just doing two. I'm just doing Gen Con and Dragon Con, um, and uh, they're about a month apart. So I'll be hanging out in the States for probably two months, three months, something like that, um, flying back. Uh, the boat, our home, our floating home, will probably be uh, somewhere in the Western Caribbean, um, probably the Panama. Hmm. So jealous, but we don't know for sure yet. <laughs> yeah. So so don't go, you know, waiting for him, storming the castle, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, that, that's. <laughs> well, is there anything? But no, I'll, I'll be I'll be at Gen Con. It's going to happen. Yeah. There's no doubt. Yeah. No doubt. I don't know if it's happening for me this year, but I need to get there at some point. It's only, I think maybe like a six hour drive for me, which is less than I do to get to Balticon, but still haven't been able to make myself yeah. get up there. Yeah, you really need to do it. You would just be in heaven, uh, you know. And and the way to do it really is to just get a uh, like a little Airbnb or something like that in town and just drive in mm-hmm. um, and pay the twenty bucks for 
for parking for the day or twenty thirty, whatever. Yeah. Because the, the downtown hotels during that convention, oh man. Well, I've I've been to Dragon Con, but I can't imagine that Gen Con's much better. No, it's not. It's yeah. it's not. In fact, it's it's rivaling Dragon Con in size too. That there were fifty some thousand, almost sixty thousand um, attendees at, at Gen Con last year. Man, oh man. Yeah, it was huge, but but way fun. Uh, they're um, annexing the uh, the stadium next door wow. for uh, Live Dungeon this year, so that's going to be a thing um, that will open up a lot of space in the convention center and a lot of parking too. Because previously it was always like we were we were having to deal with parking for events at the at the at the stadium right next door, the mm-hmm. I can't uh, Standard Oil Stadium or whatever it is. But uh, that's right next to the to the uh, convention center. So yeah, it's going to be an interesting interesting time this year. And yeah, I wouldn't miss it. Oh, I may have to try. We shall see what happens. You have to do it. Um, yeah, take out a loan. You know, <laughs> do, do a contract killing, whatever it takes. You know? <laughs> Got any targets? Nah. Yeah, I can think of a few actually. <laughs> well, well, private message them to me, okay? I don't want to be giving yeah, anybody yeah, no my kids. Okay, no 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 spoilers. No. <laughs> but if one of my editors just happens to drop dead no 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 we would go there <laughs> <laughs> or would we no, no. <laughs> well do you have any other uh, any other news that uh, my listeners need to know about um yeah actually i'm doing some short stuff too short short fiction i i like to write short fiction because it really hones the craft you know you telling a story in in and less than 5,000 words really mm-hmm. makes you get down to the point. It's mm-hmm. way different than writing a novel. Yeah. And so I like to do them every once in a while. And uh, I have a project coming out with a Pathfinder uh, third-party publisher, Legendary Games. They're mm-hmm. doing a Swords and Planets uh, adventure path, which is kind of like um, John Carter of Mars, you know, swords, a little bit of technology, mm-hmm. magic, things like that. And uh, they're putting out seven chapters to the uh, adventure path, and I'm doing a, a 3,000 we're short story in each, following the same, you know, non-involved character through the whole thing. Excellent. So that's fun, and that'll that'll be starting out soon. And I also have a short story coming out in an anthology, uh, "Women in Practical Armor." Yes. That 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 came out as an idea some years ago and has turned into a really neat project. It's basically uh, a takeoff on the whole, you know, fantasy armor for women is just ridiculous, and mm-hmm. we all know that. Um, not that we don't. Imagine, you know, you know, in, enjoy looking at it, but <laughs> functionality is just zero, right? Yes. So, so we, uh, uh, a friend of, an editor friend of mine, Gabrielle Harpley, came up with this idea some years ago. And I said, yeah, I'll, I'm all over, just the character and just the story. So I wrote uh, a nice, uh, short story involving, uh, the side characters of one of my self published novels. And, uh, it's called First Command. And it's basically, yeah, it, it's a, it's a tough, Fully armored woman who you do not want to mess with her. So yeah, yes. very very cool. Yeah, that was uh, that was kickstarted. I actually backed that one. I'm really looking forward to that anthology. Oh yeah, yeah, that was really successfully kickstarted. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, that's a good one. Yeah, you yeah. need that one. You need it badly. Yeah, so well, I'm I'm waiting for it. I saw, yeah. I saw yeah, that. And uh, one thing I'm doing this year that is a little bit different for some of the conventions is um, I'm putting out a collection of short stories of my own my own short story. Oh, yeah? Some of them have been published before, and some of them are, are unpublished. So it's going to be, you know, I'm just, I'm calling it Pieces of Eight. It's not all pirate stories, um, but it's just going to be little short stories that I've, that have, some have been, like I said, published, and some have just been sitting on my hard drive mm-hmm. for a year 
records, literally. And I think it's time they've all been seen and read. And, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'll do this every year. Because I've got a lot of stuff that hasn't been published cool. yet. So. Cool, cool. But that'll be out soon, too. So, all great. Right. Well, we'll all be looking stuff. for that. Yep. All right, well, just uh, just for reference, where can my listeners find you on the Internet? You can find me on Facebook, of course. Um, look for Chris A. Jackson. Or you can uh, go to my website, Jack's Books. That's J-A-X Books, B-O-O-K-S dot com. And um, just, you know, do a search for Jack's Book dot com and you'll find me. Right. And I always, uh, you can sign up for the newsletter on the website and... Um, I always do announcements, and I have a little blog there. Although, although I'm, I'm reticent on the blog, I don't I don't really blog a lot. Yeah. But uh, you and me but both. we have announcements and releases and stuff like that. So there's going to be things like that coming up. Awesome. But more importantly, go and pick up a copy of Pirates Prophecy. Like absolutely, like, like you a, need that book. Yeah, like right now, <laughs> go do it. We'll wait. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. All right, I appreciate having you back on again, Chris. Yeah, well, great. Yeah, glad we could catch up on this. Yeah, it was unfortunate we had the technical difficulties, but it's good to uh, be able to uh, catch it up. Yes. All right, well, thank you, and uh, have a good one. You too, man. All right. Thank you for listening to The Melting Podcast. You can check out our website with submission guidelines and current prompts at themeltingpodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at meltingpodcast. Or you could email us. TheMeltingPodcast at gmail.com The Melting Podcast is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means you're free to copy it and share it, as long as you don't change it, don't sell it, and always link back to the website. Sound effects are by the Free Sound Project. And our theme is by Drew Richcreek. <laughs>